Warning, the following program contains critical thinking, honest opinions, viewpoints on culture that may seem conservative, and a positive view on absolute detestable things such as marriage and children. Listener discretion is advised. Hola, and como estas, or whatever, my good friends and colleagues. Apologies, I took six years of Spanish, and uh, I really don't know it, so you're just going to have to bear with me. But I've got my uh, French vanilla chai tea here with me today, and in a typical homeschool Christian fashion, my oil diffuser is currently diffusing some peppermint oil to get me in a productive mind space or whatever, so we'll see how this goes. But welcome to the last episode of Subtle Rampage before we move into the next month of February, my least favorite month. You want to know why it's my least favorite month? I'll tell you why. Because it's spelled stupid. Okay? It's like my least favorite weekday, Wednesday. It's spelled stupid. I just think that, you know, language naturally evolves. Okay, right? Like, we used to have old English. Now, we don't use old English. We use the English that we have now. Like, because so many words that we use now were said differently back in the time of old English. They spelled them differently. And then People started pronouncing them closer to the way we do now, and so they changed the spelling. And I'm like, can we please, for the love of everything, just change the spelling on February and Wednesday? Because the spelling of those two words, like, infuriates me on, like, a daily basis. Anyways, as the extreme disappointment of a college dropout that I am, I want to take this episode today and kind of talk through some of the issues that I see with higher education endeavors. I just want to go through some of the perceived benefits of a college education and how those benefits seem to realistically be playing out in the sphere of academia. And as a result, you'll also get to hear some of my criticisms of these so-called benefits. If you ask most of the people who seem to, like, write or speak on the topic of a liberal arts education, or if you ask a professor, or if you even just skim through most college course syllabi, um, you'll hear and see a lot of things along the lines of a liberal arts education causes students to be more socially and culturally aware. It helps students to learn to think critically and learn how to problem solve, and it ultimately teaches them to think more broadly and analytically in order to associate different uh, ideas and connect them throughout a variety of works and fields of subject matter. People will make different pitches as to why or how these things translate into life after college, but my question when diving into all of this stuff is... In the long run, okay, do any of these things in the way that they are actually taught, do any of these things really need to be filtered into life after college? Do we want these things in the way that they are actually packaged by universities to be a part of our lives? My thought process on um, this kind of stuff is like the idea that you can send a child to public school their entire adolescence without them taking on the views that are taught in public schools. I mean, okay, if I was a secular parent or an atheist parent, there's no way I'm sending my kids to a Christian school, right? Because why? Because it wouldn't line up with the belief system that I'm teaching at home. It wouldn't line up with what I believe. It wouldn't line up with what I want my kid to believe. So why on earth would I send them somewhere, okay, five days a week, eight hours a day for the entire school year to learn from that differing perspective? I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. A gay couple probably wouldn't send their kids to a Catholic school. I mean, unless they're somehow Catholic, whatever. But, you know, if you're a gay secular couple... Why on earth would you send your child to a Catholic school? You don't want your kid to constantly be under attack for their views and lifestyle or your views and lifestyle as a parent. And you don't want your kid to go off to school and spend so much time in school learning from this certain perspective. And then they take on opposing viewpoints and come home and kind of attack your views and lifestyle because kids are easily impressionable. 
they're easily influenced. So, you know, if they hear a certain idea enough, if they hear a certain phrase enough, they're going to repeat it or they're going to take on that mindset. So I do find it interesting when Christian parents send their kids to, into the secular school system and then are surprised when their kids get older and move out of the house and leave the faith or when their kids come home from school and have a, a viewpoint that's opposing Christianity. I'm like, okay, well, you know, it's what they're around for a good chunk of their life during a time in their life at which they're the most impressionable, you know? Proverbs 22, 6, okay? Train a child up in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It just makes sense, okay? It doesn't mean that there's not exceptions to the rule, because there's practically always exceptions to the rule. But do you want to rely on your kid being the exception to the rule? Do you want to rely on your family being the exception to the rule? No, probably not. And you might go, oh, what does that have to do with the university system and a liberal arts education? Well, I will tell you, because I'm a very generous person, I like to share my thoughts. That's just a very nice way of saying I like to talk. But, okay, this applies to the university setting, because if you're sending your kid off to university, or you are a student and you're going off to university, whether you're expecting it or not, as a Christian, or even as a non-religious conservative, you are stepping into a space that is not made for you. It's also a space that in a lot of ways will contradict your belief system. Or if it isn't exactly what you've taken on as your belief system, you're stepping into a space that will definitely contradict the belief system that you grew up a part of. So I think it's just really important to keep that in mind. Um, the things that we are pitched about school, about public schools, about university systems, like the things that we are told in all the advertisements and the promotions and the, hey, come be here, we're offering you a scholarship and we're so great. Okay, the stuff and all of that, that's not what it's really going to look like. That might be obvious, okay? That might be a really stupid thing to point out. But, I mean, how many times have you ordered something on Amazon, okay? And you get it in the mail and it's like, well, this isn't exactly what I thought I was buying. I'm just saying that there is false advertising or there is confusing advertising or there is contradictory advertising in so many other aspects of the world. Why do we not think twice when it comes to school? And, you know, that's a very generalizing statement. A lot of the statements I will make today are kind of generalizing, but, you know, I'm just going to put that out there. Uh, from the get-go, so that you don't get all, well, that's not what happened to me, or that wasn't my experience, or uh, that's not everybody, Adelia. Okay, I know. I like to think that I'm not stupid. I'm fully aware that there are exceptions to generalizations. I'm fully aware that there are exceptions to the rule. So don't come at me being like, well, that's not what school was like for me. Okay, I, I get it. Okay, everybody has different experiences. And school in the last 10 years, university in the last five years, is going to be different than it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Like, things like this are constantly changing um, right under our noses. So we just have to be aware that there are things that are happening that might not have been a part of our personal experience. Anyways, to kick us off here, you know how people go to a different country or whatever and they bring with them one of those little Spanish to English dictionaries or English to Italian dictionaries? Well, throughout this episode, I'm going to lean a little bit on this little dictionary I keep in my head. Uh, I like to call it the normal human speak translation of academia terms and services. I think as far as subject matter goes, we'll start off by talking about critical thinking for a second. Okay, uh, so we hear a lot of conversation now about thinking, thinking critically, thinking logically, thinking for yourself, so on and so forth. But what does that actually look like? How does that actually pan out? Well, most of what I just said doesn't apply to the academia space, but the critical thinking aspect of things, that's a big one. Critical thinking is probably a word that can be found in practically every college syllabus out there. 
If you have a college syllabus that doesn't have the words critical thinking on it, um, you know, I want to know. Please tell me because I have never seen one that doesn't have those words in it. But okay, what is critical thinking really? So critical thinking is like the objective analysis of an issue and then coming up with a solution or a judgment call or like just a result pretty much okay from that objective analysis of whatever it is you're looking at or thinking critically about one of the biggest issues that i think kind of revolves around the whole critical thinking thing in academia and colleges and universities is courses are said to encourage critical thinking Academia and the liberal arts education is said to encourage critical thinking. I think the problem with that is there is so much else about a liberal arts education in the modern space. Okay, there's so much else in the academia sphere that just directly contradicts the whole concept of critical thinking. I'll kind of get into that a little bit later once I talk about a few other things that are big topics in academia, but, you know, that's just something to keep in mind. Critical thinking is constantly pitched as this big benefit of the educational experience, okay? You're going to be able to think critically, okay? And it's like, okay, well, what does thinking critically mean? Why do I need to do it? And will you actually be teaching me to think critically? No? Okay, great. Another big concept that colleges like to talk about um, and pitch as a benefit of a liberal arts education is social responsibility. Now, wherever academia says social responsibility, normal humans, okay, normal human speak translation here, would say social justice or social advocacy. And this might be completely obvious to you. Uh, that isn't why I'm mentioning the difference. I think in general, but especially as Christians, there is in fact a difference between social responsibilities regarding family, community, presentation, conduct, etc., and types of social justice action that fall under academia's definition of what social responsibility looks like. It's like if you've ever heard a person on the left of the political aisle say something along the lines of, well, as long as you're a good person, then I'll like you. But in truth, their definition of a good person might not include somebody with your political beliefs or your religious beliefs. And that's pretty much where social responsibility and some of the other things that we'll cover end up falling in the realm of academia. It's very much here's this set of values and beliefs that you need to subscribe to. And if you don't, you're not a good person. If you don't, you're not upholding your social responsibility. If you don't, I won't like you. I guarantee you that if you view your social responsibility as a Christian, as one that involves opposing abortion and supporting the right to life, for example, most universities and academic spaces would view that action to be in direct opposition with what they would define as your social responsibility. I mean, you might send your kid off to school thinking, oh, social responsibility. They'll do community service and learn about how they can best help others and serve their community and use their free time for the good of others. When in reality, your definition, my definition of helping others or um, benefiting communities is in most cases entirely or at least partially different than what is actually meant when universities and the academic space use this term. Even though as a sane person, diversity and inclusion means something along the lines of there is or that there is encouraged and welcomed an array of backgrounds and religions and skin colors and belief systems and life experiences, you know, the whole package. I mean, it does sound nice. It does sound like a good thing and a good environment. And it sounds like an environment that encourages discussion and understanding of others. So it, it sounds like so fine on the surface if you're a normal, sane person. 
However, my handy-dandy, like, translation, okay, it says that the academia to normal human-speak translation of diversity and inclusion means something more along the lines of, we need people of different skin colors to meet our quotas. We need people of different income levels to meet our quotas. And we need non-practicing religious people who still identify as their religion so that we can say we're, you know, open to everybody's religious viewpoints. But if you actually practice your religion and your religion differs from what we um, believe and your religion differs from the ideologies that we pitch, uh, no bueno, <laughs> because over here in academia, we really just want people to believe everything that we tell them without question, and we want people to compromise on their beliefs to fit into how we want them to think, because we want diversity and inclusion, but not when it comes to conservative viewpoints or Christian beliefs or anything else that divulges from what we teach. I mean, if you really want diversity and inclusion in a university atmosphere, where a large majority of students are more left-leaning, then my right-leaning perspective should be encouraged. It should be like, oh my god, we need more differing viewpoints. Please bring that here. Let's discuss. Instead, you bring a right-leaning viewpoint to a left-leaning college campus, and it feels very much like you say a single word out of line, and you're gonna have like a bunch of students coming at you like vultures and you're gonna have a professor breathing down your neck. It's, it's just not great. It's not a great feeling. It doesn't feel very diverse and inclusive, you know? And then also in relation to like the little quotas that colleges and universities usually have to meet for like low-income students and black students, I just don't like it, okay? I don't know why anybody likes affirmative action. It makes absolutely zero sense. It sucks to question whether or not you got something based off your merit and skills and abilities, or if it was something that was given to you because you fall into a disadvantaged category. Like, I, I would hate that, and I know that that occurs when it comes to low-income students as well. That might not be a part of affirmative action, but it is a quota that universities meet for financial reasons, and it's just... It's kind of insane. It's like, why can't students just get into a school and know that they got there based off of their own merit? They could be like, done all the extracurriculars, they were such a good student in high school, they did this and that and this and that, and they are bringing everything to the table. But if they fall into one of those disadvantaged categories, then they don't know for sure that they got there on their own merit. And that's just, you know, it's kind of, you know, kind of screwy. Kind of screwy to me. I don't like it. I don't. And for the record, I think this stuff is also a problem when it comes to the current obsession with having a victim mindset. Uh, it's pretty prevalent in our culture lately. Colleges also, they want applications from students who have a story. And then while they're going to school there, students are encouraged directly and indirectly to view themselves as victims based off of their experiences with sexuality, race, socioeconomic status, all of that good stuff, right? And it's just kind of insane to me. I mean, I come from a low-income background. I was accepted to university as a low-income student, and that's all fine and dandy, whatever. But I definitely experienced multiple ways in which I was made to feel like just because of my low-income background, I was a victim who had overcome certain obstacles, but who was going to have to keep overcoming all these obstacles for the rest of my life just because of my background. I'm not saying that there aren't disadvantages to being in certain positions in life. There are. It is what it is. That is life. But to be in an environment where people are encouraging you to see yourself as the victim in the scenario, or even to see yourself as the hero in your scenario, is just kind of ridiculous. It's like, okay, so, so which is it? Am I the victim child who, you know, could never have gotten to where I did, um, and it's so surprising, and I have all this damage and trauma uh, because of my, you know, life experience thus far? Or is it 
the hero concept where it's like, well, you are the first generation college student and you came from a low income background. And, you know, if there's a race card to add on to and you, you're you're black or you're Latino or whatever. And, you know, you've had to overcome so many obstacles and look at you now. You're going to school. This is just wonderful. You're going to be in such a better position than your family members. And it's like, okay. I don't think either mindset is healthy. And as also a kind of segue into the next thing I want to talk about, I don't see how encouraging either a victim mindset or a hero mindset, you know, really prepares anybody for future endeavors in life. I don't think either one of those perspectives of yourself or views of yourself really helps you achieve anything that you actually need to achieve in life. And that brings me to one of my biggest issues with the emphasis on getting a liberal arts education, of getting a degree. It's a common talking point that an education prepares you for the real world, that university is meant to prepare you for the real world. Okay, well, here's my dissenting opinion, all right? Um, it doesn't. It doesn't prepare you for the real world. Uh, regardless of stricter colleges that have a ton of rules and uh, will call your mommy if her adult child isn't locked in the dorms by 11 p.m. And the difference between that and the colleges that don't have as many rules, either way, college and a college education, I don't feel like it prepares people for the real world, okay? Also, what, what even is the real world? I've always found that phrase to be void of any real meaning because, yeah, I get the point. Once you're an adult and you're out on your own, there's a lot of things that you'll deal with in life that you've never had to before, but I'm sorry, are all 16-year-olds living in a fake world um, as a baby <laughs> living in a fake world only inserted into the real world when you as a parent interact with them? Obviously not. We all live in the real world and we need to stop discounting life experiences just because they happened before somebody paid their first water bill. That's all I'll say on that. Uh, if I use the term real world at all in the rest of this episode, it's just because I'm kind of going based off of what other people say and the phrases that other people use. I really dislike the term. But my point is, is that getting a college education, unless you go the accelerated route, okay, there's obviously always exceptions, but a college education puts a four-year, if not longer, pause on people's lives. And more often than not, during that time, they aren't able to simultaneously move forward with any other aspects of their lives besides education and maybe personal relationships. Everything else, finding their place in the workforce or figuring out what they truly should be doing with their lives or getting married and buying some land or anything else that they could be doing in order to be deemed a part of the real world, okay, with all the other adults, it all gets postponed until further notice of graduation date, right? Then we as a society get upset that all these young adults are still living at home or aren't financially stable or don't actually have a job in their field. It's not like schools freaking help them do any of that. I've heard a lot of conversations around this type of stuff from conversations with state representatives that I've had and with grandparents and with other people's family members and whatever, okay? Uh, I've had countless conversations that have gone the route of somebody from a older generation perspective being like, well, when I was in college, I got multiple degrees uh, and I worked full time at the same time as going to school full time and I got straight A's and graduated summa cum laude and, you know, you're just like, these kids are just, you know, wimps, okay? Whining about mental health and stress and anxiety. My response to that usually is something along the lines of every person is different. Every person has different capabilities. Everybody has different thresholds for stress and what they can handle on any given day. Everybody has different past experiences that factor into why they can handle what they can handle and why uh, they might react certain ways. I just think it's kind of insane to 
be like, well, <laughs> because I did this thing that's kind of a lot, I don't understand why everybody can't do this thing that's kind of a lot. It just doesn't make much sense to me. <laughs> it, it really doesn't. I mean, you can chalk some of the like modern student sentiments up to like laziness or wimpiness or whatever you want to chalk it up to, but honestly, I think it comes down to a few pretty simple things, okay? People are different, people are unique, not everybody is the same, and then also times change things. The university system that somebody experienced 60 years ago or 30 years ago or 10 years ago is not the same as the university system that people are experiencing now. Just like how movies that people experienced 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, so on and so forth, are not the same as the movies that we experience now in 2023. The same goes for music. The same goes for all sorts of cultural aspects, okay? Just like we can look at the family unit, okay? How has the typical family unit across the United States changed from the 90s to now, from the 60s to the 90s? Okay, like, things change. A big one here, okay, technology. Until, like, my parents' generation, like, they were, like, the first generation of parents to have to figure out how to parent devices, how to parent kids having cell phones, how to parent... Um, the stupid freaking iPads, okay? Like, no parents before that really had to figure out how to protect their children from these things that are constantly in our hands that have access to so much freaking stuff. Um, and not only how to protect your kids from it, but also how to monitor how much time they're spending on it and to make sure that they're not getting too lost in the things that most adults have a hard time with self-control and getting lost in an online world, okay? Kids definitely don't have that type of self-control. I think that these are just a few examples of things that definitely have changed over time. And when those things change over time, people's experiences with those elements change. That's just how it works. Even if one aspect of life, okay, say the university system that we have today is exactly the same as the university system that people had 20 years ago. Say it's exactly the same. Word for word, aspect for aspect, course for course, whatever, okay? It's all the same. Everything else in people's lives changed with the times. It still makes the experience different, right? I don't know. That's just, that's just my opinion on it, okay? If you haven't personally experienced being another person, then, um, maybe cut the condescending tone back a little bit. I say that, but <laughs> I'm guilty, um, but, you know, usually I'm right to be condescending. I don't do it when I think people are smart. But being a full-time student, at least one that takes their educational career extremely seriously, is a full-time job. It consumes practically every aspect of these young people's lives. It's stressful. It's expensive. For those whose parents aren't paying for school, okay, these students are typically having to work a job at the same time as going to school. All their money is going towards tuition. Or if they did get a full ride, okay, that usually comes with a whole slew of other time-consuming commitments. Don't even get me started on student-athletes. That's a lot. That's a lot. I completely understand why some of them never show up to class. I probably wouldn't because I, I, I'm, I'm not the most, like, athletic person. I'm not the most, like, physically active person. Uh, so one of those workouts would knock me out, would probably kill me, honestly. And, you know, if you're a student athlete and you still get good grades, I applaud you. I really do. Anyways, my point is that in most cases, these students don't even have time to think about anything else that would be beneficial to their future, at least not in any sort of in-depth manner. And you might say, Adelia, you said school doesn't help people with any of this stuff. What about getting jobs? Doesn't having a degree help you get a job? Well, no. Okay, speaking generally, I don't think that going to college helps you get a job outside of the fact that you can tell future employers that you have a degree. 
uh, practically every school will in some way pitch their career services as if these people will help you do anything or provide you with any resources outside of maybe saying, hey, I can help you compile a resume or write a cover letter or something basic that most of us living in 2023 can do quite easily on our own because we know how to use Microsoft Office. Like it's, it's I'm like, sir, I appreciate your help so much, but I, 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 I sat down with career services once to put together a resume for applying to internships a few years ago, and the resume that I made myself in high school looked a lot better, much more professional, much less archaic. So that's all I'm going to say on that. But maybe the school that you went to personally invested time and resources into helping you secure a job after graduation. Maybe there was a particular faculty member who really like, you know, took you under their wing and was like, listen, this is what we're going to do and it's going to be great. But what I'm saying is that there are a ton of students that don't receive that part of the university pitch and end up working a crap job after they graduate. I mean, it just is what it is. You don't, in a lot of situations here, college students in their senior year going, yeah, my college has totally set me up for success and, you know, and they've been working me with me this whole time and showing me the ropes on how to find a job in my field, um, you know, and I, you know, it's really going well and I'm optimistic about my future after college. Most of the time you hear seniors in university, okay, going, well, everybody in my field is like working at Publix right now because they can't find a job in um, our field of studies. So that makes me nervous. And um, I don't really have time to be looking for a job or compiling my portfolio or really anything like that because um, school uh, finals uh, last year to get everything done. Ah, okay, that's more of what I hear from seniors in university. You know, some people might make the point that the responsibility of finding work and becoming financially stable and all of that stuff does rest on each person to do for themselves. They have to figure it out and they shouldn't expect to be coddled and coached through these aspects of life. Okay, fine. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that for so long we have encouraged for decades, a system that in most circumstances directly contradicts a person's ability to do so. Okay, it's all of the money that they are making is going into tuition. And if it's not going into tuition yet, it will as soon as they graduate and those loans come due. Okay, um, you know, so they're, they're not able to really save up too much money. If they are, that's wonderful. But for the most part, they're not. That kind of gets rid of the financially stable aspect. And securing a job, let's be honest here, getting a job as a grown adult with a degree, with years and years of experience, okay, decades of experience in the same industry, getting a job in that position is already difficult enough, especially with the way that we do things now, where all the jobs are like postings online and you go through and you go, okay, well, I kind of fit that criteria and you submit your resume and your cover letter and you go through all the steps and you take the stupid five minute assessment or 30 minute assessment that the company does. Um, and then either they write you off after you take that <laughs> assessment um, or, you know, your application goes through and for all you know, they never look at it. Okay. And you do that with what, 30, 40 jobs. Okay. And you still don't hear anything back. Grown adults experience that. You think it's going to be any easier for brand new, straight out of school kids? Really? And I know it might seem like I'm looking at this in a strictly black and white type of manner, but I know I'm generalizing, okay? I know there are plenty of individuals who are extremely driven and motivated and savvy and get all of this stuff worked out just fine on their own. I understand that. But at the same time, I would say to you, okay, why don't you own your own business? Why haven't you acted on that one super unique product idea that you had when you were tripping on acid for your 23rd birthday? Why haven't you taken advantage of your entrepreneurial mind? I can't even say the freaking word. Okay, entrepreneur, entrepreneurial. 
oh, you don't have an entrepreneurial mind? See, I still can't say it. Whatever. This is my point, okay? Somebody else does, okay? You might not have your own business, but somebody else does. You might have zero motivation and energy and time to put into, like, a specific product idea or whatever, but somebody else does. We're not all the same person, okay? We can't all possibly think the same way and have the same way of doing things and accomplish the same things, okay? It's just not possible. We're not all built the same. We all experience life differently. Just because you did something or wanted to do something or were able to do something doesn't mean that somebody else can. And the same goes the other way, okay? Just because somebody else was able to do something and wanted to do something and whatever, okay? It doesn't mean that you can. Oh, wow. Revelation. <laughs> but it, it's almost like for all of humanity, okay, we keep coming up with new structures that don't take into account people's strengths and their weaknesses and don't take into account how we can best foster people's personalities and what comes naturally to them, what they're naturally capable of to help them find where they fit in life. But now I've gone on that whole tangent, okay? Let's talk about where these types of tangents go a little too far. So when I was in school, I majored in government and English specifically English creative writing, okay? Two majors that are chock full of left-leaning ideologies. The funny thing is, though, okay, if you listen to one of my first podcast episodes, I did it on the topic of gay subtext, and there's like a bajillion different literary theories, a good chunk of which, okay, just stem from worldview ideologies, like the theory of deconstruction stems from structuralism, okay? The whole concept of queer theory is attached to gender theory in the ways that we see it in the rest of our lives. We've got feminist criticism, Marxist criticism, psychoanalytic criticism based on Freudian theory, and the list goes on. Even if you don't subscribe to a lot of these theories or ideologies, they're still shoved down your throat every five seconds, especially in specific fields of study. I think it's one thing to learn about these perspectives, ideologies, theories, whatever you want to call them, so that you can recognize them in other people's work and you can know the difference and you can kind of be more aware of these things. It's one thing to learn about them. It's a whole other thing to have professors teaching through these perspectives or universities operating with these ideologies in place. If you're not careful. Uh, this was something that came up in conversation when I dropped out of university in the fall. Um, I was talking to the dean because the reason that I left the school I was at was a bit more um, centered on the faith aspect of their school. But we were just having some really uh, in-depth conversations about what academia really looks like currently. And we were talking about this whole concept of, you know, if you're not careful and you start operating in your thought processes with this whole um, modernity thing uh, of searching for, like, this societal utopia, okay, if you start thinking through these thought processes, it kind of makes you lose your grip on reality a little bit, okay? You go a little bit cuckoo because... These theories are largely focused on some unrealistic achievement of a societal utopia. There is no reality in which we achieve most of the things that these theories and ideologies look to achieve. There's no world in which we get rid of racism. There's no world in which a man is a woman and a woman is a man. There's no world in which we get rid of rape. Okay, there's no world in which we can actually break down all the structures in society and build them up from scratch. There's no world in which we reach a societal utopia. There's not. But all of these systems of thinking, all of these theories and all of these ideologies, they're all reaching for some sort of societal utopia. And most of them, the 
way to get to that societal utopia is to tear everything down, to burn it all down and start from scratch. And it's like, that's just not going to happen. It's not realistic. And this is where uh, our friend critical thinking comes back into play, because as much as schools pitch critical thinking, they really don't want that. They want you to think through the lens of one of these many ideologies and theories that they teach students through. They wouldn't be teaching through a certain lens if they wanted you to learn to think through a different one, if that makes sense. You know, if they wanted you to learn how to think critically, they wouldn't be teaching you to think through the lens of feminist criticism, okay, <laughs> or Marxist criticism, or any of that stuff, okay? If they wanted you to learn how to think critically, they wouldn't be teaching through these perspectives that are not critical thinking. And here's another Bible verse for you, okay? Um, this is one of my new favorite verses, at least for the time being, Colossians 2.8, okay? And yes, I, I did write it down because, um, you know, I, I, I'm not a pristine Christian as far as Bible memorization goes, but it's fine. It's fine, okay? Um, but Colossians 2.8 says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Like, <laughs> like, don't be cheated through philosophy and empty deceit and things that go along with the tradition of men and basic principles of the world, okay? You have to involve Christ. It's one of, it's like, it's, it's one thing to use the faculties of reason that God gave us to think through what we read and what we hear and what we see and try to find some solutions for societal problems, okay? If we Remember that God is a major part of the discussion. If we leave him out of it, we're opening ourselves up to deception, okay, that can creep in if we think about these things from a worldly perspective. It's like how there are so many people who call themselves spiritual, okay, who knowingly or not are really just searching for answers that they won't be able to find until they find God. It's kind of the same thing, okay? In, in philosophy and all these theories and ideologies and contemplations of the human condition, okay, you're looking for answers in all of that. And if you're looking for answers without God, you're not going to find them. But if you factor God into the equation then maybe you will find at least a little glint of an answer, okay? I don't know. I can't promise that. But <laughs> I'm just saying, nothing good is going to come out of leaving him out of the conversation. I did originally want to spend a little bit of time in this episode discussing what it means to be an educated person, but uh I talk a lot, so this episode's already going to be pretty long, so I might just do an entirely separate episode um, centered around what it means to be an educated person. I might do that, because I could probably swing that. Anyways, I'll just wrap things up here. <laughs> okay, so David McCullough has a talk on the Wright Brothers. It's on YouTube. You can look it up if you want to watch it, but he discusses how the Wright Brothers never finished high school uh, because they had what they were interested in, and they wanted to focus on that. Now, we have freaking airplanes, because the Wright brothers had what they were interested in and decided to focus on that. The importance of curiosity and environment that facilitates curiosity, it's vital, okay? It's one of the many reasons to homeschool your children, by the way, uh, because if you ask me, one of the last things you want to do as a parent is to squander who your child is and what they are naturally good at, what they are naturally curious about. If you send your child into an environment that does exactly, you know, the opposite, okay, it doesn't encourage any of that, five days a week for a good chunk of their life, don't come crying to me about what might possibly be wrong with them. I'm not saying, okay, that homeschooling your kid will automatically get rid of any motivation issues or 
unsureness about what your child wants to do later on in life. We live in a time where our focus as people revolves very much around entertainment, which, you know, can kill people's motivation, kind of dumbs you down, you know. We've, we all know this. We've all heard it a million times. But ultimately, education in the form that we have it in the U.S. today is not an end-all be-all. At all. <laughs> and we need to stop acting like it is. Okay, being a good student does not always translate into being good at other things in life. But we value it so highly as if it does. Just like, okay, being a crap student doesn't always translate into being crap at other ventures in life. So it's just a really stupid way of looking at things. When I informed my professors um, this last fall that I was dropping out, um, that I, you know, at least was planning on it, I, <laughs> I was met with a variety of like, no's and don'ts and you're such a great student though. And you have so much potential and I love having you in my, okay, we, anyways, my thing is I've always been a good student. Okay. I've always known that I was a good student and these statements fall pretty null and void with me and my parents because we're fully aware and I have been hearing this stuff for years now. None of the responses I got asked me why I was dropping out. Neither did they stop to think that maybe it had everything to do with what I was being taught and how I was being taught and why I was being taught those things in that specific way. I guess I just think that it's really important <laughs> to um, quit looking at people as though we should all be taking the same route in life because we don't need to all take the same route in life. We don't. We don't all need to go to school, but we don't all need to not go to school, okay? Um, it'd be kind of terrible if um, our medical professionals never went anywhere to learn anything. That would be pretty gnarly. We might revert back to some pretty disturbing practices, you know, as they figured out how to even do anything. Uh, so in, in some aspects, the existence of education is great. Okay. It's a good thing. But um, the other influences that have kind of infiltrated into the academic sphere, okay, not so good. We need to be encouraging people's identity and who God made them to be. Okay, we need to quit looking at things like, you know, school is the most important thing, education is the most important thing. Um, if you're a kid that runs around screaming all the time and can't sit still, okay, you need to shut up and sit down. Like, we need to quit boxing people up, okay? And we need to take a step back and we need to be like, okay, here's the deal. I don't know what you're going to do in life, but God knows. And God made you. And, you know, that good book over there, okay, that good book tells you that your identity should be in Christ, tells you that you should fear God. And like I've said before in another one of my podcasts, I don't think fearing God necessarily means being deathly afraid, okay? I think it is good to fear in the sense of respect, okay, because God is God and he created us. But at the same time, I think that God is giving us this thing. He's saying, Fear me so you don't have to fear anything else. And in the same way, he gives us an identity in him so that we don't have to go searching for it elsewhere. We don't have to go searching for it in our gender identity or our race identity or our, you know, educational career or our workforce career or whatever it is in life, okay? We don't have to go looking for our identity anywhere else but in the identity that God has given us. And if we just base everything off of that, and we're secure in that, and we're confident in that, then other things are going to seem less end of the world, <laughs> okay? Um, you know, if I based my entire identity in, you know, how good of a student I was, and, you know, how great my academic experience is going to be, that would not be good. I would be nobody because if my identity was all wrapped up in that, oh boy, would we have a problem. I hope the point is getting across 
that, you know, one, we need to quit putting so much importance on a liberal arts education and on getting a degree. And then two, for those who get degrees and for those who don't get degrees, we need to start encouraging the things that come naturally to people. We need to see things like, oh, that kid talks a lot. Maybe they're good with words or maybe with encouragement and with some, you know, I don't know, practice, okay? They'll be good with words. Oh, that kid is constantly making up songs about how he's making a peanut butter sandwich and then how he's gonna, like, you know, punch his sister in the face. Maybe he thinks musically. Maybe we should throw a piano in front of him, see what he does. You know, like, it doesn't mean that you're always going to be completely accurate with what you're guessing, okay? Because, you know, it's not like kids really know what they're really going to do with their future. But I'm just saying, if you see something in somebody, you need to encourage it. Just like if somebody's in college, okay, and they're getting to that point where they're going to be graduating and they're going to be um, trying to find work in their field, the universities are not going to step in, okay? And help students find different ways to get work, okay? They're not going to help students think um, outside of the box about how they might start their own business or how they might um, move across the country or how they might try this first or that first or this approach or whatever. They're not helping with any of that. So if you have a college student that's in your life who is you know, slowly or not so slowly propelling towards graduation date, and you have the time or the resources to maybe network, okay, and help them meet people in their field, because that always opens up, like, at least a couple doors, okay, at least a couple conversations. If you have the ability to help somebody else find their space in life, whether it's your child or your friend or your parent, okay? Because sometimes life's a roller coaster. Sometimes things don't happen until you're older. I'm just saying we need to start helping people find what is going to work for them. And that doesn't always involve the stereotypical route. Anyways, now that you've watched me slouch for the last, like, hour, if you're watching the YouTube video, I hope... Some of that made sense. I hope I made some sort of decent amount of points. I don't know, you know, just depends on how much you've thought about the subject, I guess. But that's all for this episode. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to hit that like button and subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, I'm so cute. Look at my smile. Don't you want to watch me more? Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. Anyways, um, new episodes of Subtle Rampage drop every Wednesday morning on Spotify, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts, so make sure to keep up with that, and I'm gonna go pop me some theoretical popcorn and dive into all the, you know, petty drama <laughs> that went on in conservative media spaces over the last week or so, uh, and you'll hear from me again next week. See ya!